So today we are in part three of our series called Make Love Not War. And today we are looking at arguably the most well-known, the most popular passage in the entire Bible. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I will tell you something. If this is your first time that you've ever stepped foot in a church in your entire life, there's a good chance that you've already heard this Bible passage read because it's read at so many different weddings and it's quoted so often. And so I'm going to read you the first three verses. Here we go. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, to the Corinthians there in chapter 13. And he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but to not have love, I gain nothing. It goes on to say, and you might be familiar with these words, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, and on and on the passage goes. And you've probably heard this before. And when you've heard it, maybe you thought, oh man, that just sounds so great. It's this poetic, this majestic uh, passage of scripture. And you, it kind of leaves you nodding your head going, yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. That sounds good. Right on. Absolutely. But what is it really saying? I mean, we hear it so often that it's almost like it just washes over us but it doesn't really have any bearing or any relevance to us. At least for me, those words can lose their meaning because they've just been said so many times. So let's try and unpack this a little bit and see if we can bring some meaning to our lives out of this passage. The issue that's going on here, and if if this is your first time in a while, we've been going through 1 Corinthians for many, many weeks. The issue that Paul is trying to address, what's going on in this church, is an issue of division in the church. The church is divided. They're divided over which leader they follow. And here, as we get into the latter part of the letter, Paul is addressing an issue where they're divided on whose, check this out, on whose religious activity is more important than the other person. That's what they're, they're getting all competitive about these spiritual gifts that God has given them. And they're trying to figure out like, whose is better. And what Paul is saying is, listen, guys, listen, you can do all this incredible stuff, all this stuff for God. You can speak in tongues, these different languages enabled by the spirit of God. You can have this gift of prophecy. You can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. You can have mountain moving faith. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of faith? You can give all you possess to the poor. You can do all this great stuff, but without love, you're nothing. You gain nothing. This passage reminds me of uh, a flight that I was on last year. I was going to England for my grandmother's funeral 
And so got on this red-eye transatlantic flight, and I never sleep well on those flights, don't sleep well on airplanes, but I, I had reserved a, a window seat so I could at least, you know, kind of tuck the pillow up on the side and, and try and get a little sleep. You don't have to worry about people, you know, crossing back and forth and waking you up. And so I was pretty excited about this, and I walked back to, to my row of the plane about middle, midway back on the plane. And as I got to my row, I realized that I had a problem because there, right in my row, there were two young elementary age girls, their mother and a flight attendant. And they were kind of pointing and talking and people looked confused. And, and it didn't take me very long to realize that what was going on here was that in my row, it was me and the two girls and then the mom was seated like somewhere much further away. And so the flight attendant was trying to work her magic to figure out a way that she could get everybody to sit together. But the deal was, it was a totally jam-packed flight. So, you know, I'm not the world's smartest guy, but I pretty quickly figured out that the only way that this mom was going to be able to sit with her two daughters was if I switched with her. So I could kind of see this thing coming, and I just said, okay, you know, before we even get to them asking or whatever, I just said to the flight attendant, I said, look, it's cool. Here's this single mom, these young girls. I said, I'd be happy to, to switch seats to, to make this happen. And the flight attendant looks at me, and she says, are you sure you want to do this? Because you see, I'm sorry, but her seat is like all the way in the back, and it's a middle seat. And I said, yeah, it's Okay. You know, it's, it's fine. And she goes, really? Great. So I don't know what kind of reaction I was expecting this mom to give me. I'm not saying that, that I wanted her to, like, do cartwheels up in the aisle and, you know, just go, just tears streaming down her face. Thank you. You saved my family. You know, this is this most heroic. I, you know, I wasn't looking for that. I really wasn't. But I was looking for something a little more than what I got. What I got was this mom was kind of dealing with her kids and, and, and the flight attendant, and she just kind of like just glances over to me, almost like embarrassed, and she just goes, thank you. And then she just kind of was going about doing her thing, getting her kids situated and, and all that sort of stuff. That was it. That was what I got. Thank you. So I proceed to walk all the way back to the back of the plane, plunk down in my middle seat, and I'm, I'm sitting there reflecting on the fact that I didn't think it was possible to feel any more claustrophobic in an airplane than when you were like in the middle section. But actually in the back, right next to the bathrooms with the seats that won't recline, you know, as you're getting the waft of the nice bathroom laboratory aroma, you know, you actually can feel more claustrophobic back there. So I'm sitting there kind of just going over in my mind what I just did. You know, I'm, I'm having a little buyer's remorse. Well, this woman walks up, we haven't taken off yet, who was kind of right in the same section that, that I was in originally. And she walks all the way back, this, this older lady, she walks all the way back to go to the bathroom in the back, and she stops at my row. And she, she kind of bends over and she looks at me, and she says, that was such a nice thing that you did. I never would have done that. <laughs> now, I don't know if, if that was supposed to be a compliment or if that's code for... Dude, you're an idiot. I, I don't know. But I sat there, and I was just like, you know what? This just isn't feeling good for me, you know? And so what I proceeded to do was after we got up and, you know, seatbelt sign went off and everything, I said, you know what? Maybe this mother just didn't have a, a good opportunity to express her gratitude to me 
for the sacrifice that I made for her. So I proceeded not to just use the bathroom right there in the galleyway by me, but I walked all the way up. I started all the way up. And, and I made sure to kind of slow down as I got, you know, to, to where, the, and I just, you know, I was trying to make some eye contact to them, just trying to give them the opportunity, you know, they needed it. Couldn't get them to make eye contact, like, oh, I dropped something, you know, oh, hey, you know, this, I couldn't get anything. I couldn't get anything. And you guys, this is like confessions of a pastor. I did this every two hours for the entire flight. I mean, do I have problems or what? I was just like... You know, I mean, surely, surely, something. I got nothing, nothing. And I sat there, and this is, I'm just, lift my hand to God. I steamed the entire way. You know that? I did. So I'm reading this passage this week. And all this stuff, if I do all this stuff, and I'm realizing, oh man. It's like, it's like God was saying, Derek, if you give up, that nice window seat on the airline, your transatlantic flight, to that single mom and her two babies so that they could be together, and you are stuck back there in the bathroom, and it's just awful back there in the back of the plane. If you do that for them, this great thing that you do, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And you know what I realized? Totally true. I mean, they gained something from, from the exchange. I didn't. I didn't gain anything from it because I didn't have love, you see? So I didn't profit whatsoever from that. What Paul is telling this church in Corinth is, look, you can do all these great things, but you won't grow one bit. You will not benefit one bit if your life isn't characterized by love, which, by the way, is the ultimate characteristic and defining mark of a Christian. It's love. But here's the deal. When he talks about love, he's not talking about love the way we think of love and the way that our culture portrays love today. And if you miss everything else in this message today, I hope that you will come away with a really clear understanding of what biblical love is is all about, okay? Because our, what our culture says love is all about is feelings. It's emotions, okay? That's kind of what's portrayed as love. That's, that's Hollywood movies and all this kind of stuff, right? It's romantic love. It's, it's what? I'm so in love with him. I'm so in love with her. It's all about your feelings. It's all about your emotions. Or even at a friendship level. Oh, man, he's such an awesome guy. I just love hanging out with him. I just, I love that guy. Or man, this girlfriend, she's so cool. I just love her. I love spending time with her. You know, all those expressions of love are what? Feelings. They're emotions. And you want to know something? That kind of love, when those feelings and those emotions are riding high, is so simple. You don't even have to think about it. So if you have two people, we'll just represent with these two cups here. You have two people and there's just so much love between them, right? There's all these good feelings and good vibes, okay? So you got somebody right here, and there, there's somebody else, and they're like, oh, I just, I just love that person. I love being around them. They're so much fun. You know, you just have such great times together. Naturally, what happens is that you just, you gravitate to them, and then just by being around them, what's happening for you, with you? 
you're getting filled up, right? I mean, you're getting all these good feelings and good vibes and all this love coming your way, and you just feel good, and you're getting filled up, your cup's getting filled up. And so it's so easy to, to reciprocate this, right? You, you, you want to. You're bending over backwards to think, how can I serve this other person? How can I do something cool for this other person, right? And there's this, there's this reciprocity, and it's all based on our feelings. It's just, it's so natural. It's so easy. There's this even exchange. It's a beautiful thing. And when our society talks about love, and largely when we, shaped by our society, think about love, we're thinking about it in these terms. Feelings, reciprocity, you do something nice for me, I'll do something good for you. You love me, I'm loving you. It's all about feelings and emotions. That is absolutely not what Paul is talking about here. When he is talking about love, it has nothing whatsoever to do with our feelings. Nothing. You gotta understand this. This is so vital. The word in the Greek that is translated into love is the word agape. A-G-A-P-E, agape. That word for love that Paul is writing there and is primarily used in the New Testament for the word love, this biblical love, has nothing to do with our feelings whatsoever. This agape love, it's a selfless, sacrificial love. It loves unconditionally. In fact, the word agape is the word that is used to describe God's love for us. God loves us unconditionally. God doesn't expect anything from us in return. And no matter what we do in this life, God will never stop loving us. So agape love is this idea that instead of this love based on feelings and reciprocity, agape love gives expecting nothing in return. It just pours out, not looking for anything back. So this love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's an action. And it makes sense thinking of it this way as you read what Paul continues to write here in verses 4 through 8. Okay? Because what Paul is now writing is these different decisions that love makes. And I like, we've heard this many times, most of us, I like to, to put the verb chooses in there instead of the word is because I think it just, it helps me to, to be able to kind of focus on this passage and, and really internalize what it's saying. So starting in verse four, Paul says, love chooses to be patient. This agape love chooses to be kind. It chooses not to envy, not to boast, not to be proud. It makes the decision not to dishonor others or be self-seeking or easily angered. It makes a choice to keep no record of wrongs. Love decides not to delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It chooses to always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. Love never fails. What Paul spells out there is 15 decisions that agape love makes. Those aren't feelings. Those aren't emotions. Those aren't if I feel like it or I want to be in love. No, this is choosing to love, and this is how we do it. Now, here's the deal. 
if you marry somebody and you make a vow to that person, I just want to let you know what that vow is all about. When you vowed to love that person, you vowed to love them with an agape love. You vowed not to try and stay in love with them, or I just hope we're going to do everything we can to hopefully the feelings of being in love will stay there throughout our lives, and we're going to work really hard to try and stay in love. No, 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 that wasn't the vow whatsoever. The vow is to love, to love sacrificially, selflessly, unconditionally, even when we don't feel like it. When you start out, a lot of times in a romantic relationship, you've got all these just good feelings going back and forth. You, you just love pouring into one another. I mean, it's just, it's just so natural. You don't even have to think about it. But as time goes on and, and life happens, and, and maybe there's some, some of you married couples who are here right now, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because what started out like this, so close and wonderful and just so natural, slowly you've, you've drifted further and further apart. These feelings that were once flowing so great, you, don't even, you can't even find those things. You're so far apart, and you're like trying to, you know, hey, is it going to work? It's, it's not even close, man. You, it's, you can't. You can't get there, right? You can't manufacture this. You, you just can't produce these feelings, and you're like, I don't even know. Maybe I don't think we're even in love anymore. I don't know what we can do. I, I just want to remind you of something. That vow that you take has nothing, nothing to do with your feelings, that vow, basically, is that one of you is going to have to step up and say, you know what, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to choose to selflessly, sacrificially pour into the other person. And you just, just start doing it. You're not expecting to get anything back because you're probably not going to get anything back, at least in the beginning. And it's just that decision, you're just going to start to do it. And I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of time, and it's not some magic quick fix, but you will be amazed if you start acting in agape love, how those feelings over time will start to return. And at some point, you just keep, if you just keep all you're worrying about is just filling up that other person, at some point, they're going to start overflowing, and maybe you'll just at least be able to catch it. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so that is what a wedding vow really is. It's to love unconditionally, no matter what, with an agape, I choose to love you. I choose to be patient and kind, all those things. Look at those decision points. Are you living those out in your marriage? Now, that being said, this passage has nothing to do with marriage in terms of the fact that Paul was not writing, this wasn't like a marriage seminar. He wasn't writing a letter to a married couple. Um, Paul is writing to a church in conflict, a church that's divided. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, guys, if you want to be this church that God wants you to be, if you want to live up to the full potential of what God has called you to be as a church, you must embody agape love. You must selflessly, unconditionally, sacrificially love one another. Now, Paul isn't just making this up out of his own head. This comes straight from the words of Jesus Christ as we see them written in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is one of Jesus' disciples, John, the disciple John. He, he took an account of Jesus' life, wrote it down. It's, it's called the Gospel of John. And so here in the 13th chapter of John's Gospel account, 
Jesus is with his disciples. This is like last week of Jesus' life. And Jesus says to them, guys, he didn't say that part, but um, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, the command to love one another had been around forever. So what makes this thing new when Jesus says a new command I give you is these five words that he says in the second sentence. As I have loved you. That's what makes it a new command. As I have loved you, that way, that's the way that you must love one another. And that word there for love, again in the Greek, is the word agape. Now, how did Jesus love? How did Jesus love them? Absolutely, unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of John chapter 13, you'll have to read it on your own. Jesus starts out not with just kind of saying, hey guys, I got a new command for you. No, no. He starts out before the evening meal that they would share together. There's no servant to wash their nasty, disgusting, grimy feet from walking around in the Middle East with no sanitation and no you know, systems and all that kind of stuff. So he comes in and he, Jesus Christ gets down, gets a basin of water and washes the feet of all of these disciples. Then he gets up and he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, this is mind-blowing if you think about just the fact that he would do this, but check out who's, who's in the circle of 12 that he did this for. One of the disciples who was there is a guy named Judas Iscariot. Judas is the disciple who betrayed Jesus, turned on him. Jesus knew that Ju- Judas was going to do this. He'd already, he already saw it coming. He already predicted that it was going to happen. And he washed the feet of Judas. He also washed the feet of Peter. Peter, the one who Jesus knew was going to deny him three times the night that he got arrested. Deny ever knowing him. So Jesus is washing the feet of these guys who are totally going to turn on him. In fact, all the disciples scatter. They fear for their lives. And Jesus washes their feet. That's pretty amazing stuff. That's how Jesus loved. Selflessly, unconditionally, with an agape love. Not based on his feelings. Can you imagine how he felt when he was washing Judas' feet? He just chose to pour that love out. To him. Now, I want you to notice this because it's easy to miss. In verse 34, Jesus says this is a command. Did you see that? This is a command that he gives to us. Now, I want to let you know something. If you're here this morning and you're, you're new here and you're actually like, you're just coming in, you're just peeking over the fence at Christianity and you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is and you know, you're just very early on in trying to figure out your faith and what that all looks like and what you believe, I have incredibly good news for you. You don't have to pay attention to this command at all. You can just take a free pass on this one. You don't have to do it because you haven't signed up to say you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to submit to his authority, whatever Jesus says you're going to do, you don't have to do that. In fact, if someone dragged you here today, you know, and you know that they're like all in for Jesus, you can actually like give them a little elbow right now and kind of laugh at them. You know, like, yeah, this one's for you. You got you to gotta do this one. You're on the hook for this. But if you're here and you're like me and you have come to a place where you've put your faith 
in Jesus Christ, you believe that Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins and we actually follow and give him authority over our lives, then the reality is this. This is a command that he gives to us, his followers. And unlike many commands that he gives us, where really the reason that he commands us to do this is because he wants to set us free. You know, we forgive, so we'll be set free from that. Or we, we bless others, so we'll be a blessing. You know, we give so that ultimately we'll receive back. In this case, the reason that Jesus commands this doesn't have anything to do with our benefit or our well-being, which makes this really uncomfortable. But the reason that Jesus gives us this command to agape love one another is seen in verse 35. He says, by this, loving one another that way, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you agape love one another. See, Jesus, this isn't for you, guys. Jesus is saying, this is for me. This is how we worship our Lord. This is how we lift up his church. This is how we shine a light. This is how the message of Jesus Christ is advanced. Jesus says, this is not negotiable. It's a command. Not based on your feelings. Not based on whether you think someone else is worthy or not. Not based on whether someone's going to pour back into your cup. No. Unconditionally, selflessly, put someone before you and pour in to them. And if we can do that as a church, everyone will come to know about Jesus Christ and his church. So the question today is quite simple. A question for all of you who are doing your best to follow after Jesus. Jesus is your authority figure. The question I have for you is, how are you going to carry this out today? Who do you need to love with an agape love today? Who do you need to pour into today? This has been my prayer this week. My prayer today, through the first service and into this service, my prayer is that every single one of us, myself included, that God would bring a face or a name to our mind right now of someone that we need to love with an agape love. It's probably someone that you feel like doesn't deserve it. You definitely aren't going to feel like it. You might have a name or a face coming in right now and you're like, okay, God, no, seriously, I need to really understand like who's the real name. Like, <laughs> cause it certainly couldn't be that one. So give me another one. Yeah. I'm still waiting to hear it. God, you know, um, who do you need to love today? Will you take that up with God? Who do you need to love today? This is how Jesus' church is lifted up. This is how it reaches its full potential. So when you think about this command, this non-negotiable command that Jesus gives to his followers, if a name or a face has come before you and God's given you something and it's that person that you really don't want God to bring before you, then your blood pressure is probably 
gone up significantly and you're feeling some level of discomfort right now and there's a lot of tension for you in the room and you're trying to figure out what to do with it. And I just want to say this. That tension is okay. It's actually important that we live with that tension. And you may be thinking, there's nothing in me at all that wants to love the person that I sense God is leading me to to, to love. Nothing in me. How am I going to do that? So the good news is that there's a way. But it's not in our own power and it's not in our own strength. I can tell you that. I can promise you that. I've lived it many, many times over. So we are going to conclude our service this morning by celebrating communion, which is the perfect, perfect way to understand how we get the power to do this. So if you're on our communion team, please go ahead and and head to the back and get the communion elements. And I'm going to try and explain how this is such a powerful thing for us and a great, great thing for us to do. So the deal is this. If God has brought a face or a name of somebody in your mind to agape love, to pour into, expecting nothing in return, not based on your feelings, right? If you've got that, that person, there's probably a huge part of you and you're like, that's fine, God, you can bring that person to my mind, but this cup ain't pouring, okay? This cup ain't pouring. It's not, it's not gonna happen. Because there's nothing in us that thinks that this is a good idea. And so it starts to pour and we just stop it. You know why we stop it? Well, you see, it's because we're up here, right? And they're down here. Because, see, I don't know that person in your mind, but you do. And you know the things that they've done to you. You know how they've blown it. You know the hurtful things they've done. You know the mistakes that they've made, the things that can't be taken back. And so, and this happens to every single one of us. But it's like, you know what? I'm up here, and that person that I that sense maybe God's whispering something, and I'm just like, I won't, don't want to hear it. This person's down here. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross for our sins. What we're admitting, what we're confessing in that time of communion is this, you guys. There is not one of us who's perfect. There's not one of us who's worthy to be in the presence of a holy, perfect God. Not one of us. When we take communion and we come forward and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, what we're confessing, what we're acknowledging is, you know what? We are, in, in the light of this moment, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. We've all blown it. Every single last one of us. Someone else might have hurt us worse, but we've hurt other people, right? And so what happens is, in this moment, what we realize is we're all human. None of us is perfect. We've all messed up and we're all dead even at the foot of the cross. It's our pride that stops the poor. Our pride stops the poor. But when, when we realize what Jesus has done for us, it humbles us to the point where we can actually say, you know what? They don't deserve it. But you know what? I probably don't deserve it either from some people that I've done that to. So it enables us to pour. Much easier said than done. But that humility enables it to happen. Now, what happens when you make the pour and you've poured it all out? See, this agape love, it's not expecting anything back. 
That's not, that's not what agape love is. Nothing in return. You just pour out. It's all about the other person. It's all about their interests. It's all about how you can love and serve them. So how do you get filled back up? I mean, totally empty over here. This is a terrible place to be. Well, the way that you get filled up has nothing to do with this other person here. The only way as Christians that we get filled, that we have something in our cup to be able to pour to someone else is when we realize what God has done for us. You see, here's the deal, you guys. God is so crazy about you and me that he chose to come down to this earth to live a life that none of us could live, to show us the way to live, to be utterly humiliated, rejected by his followers, scorned, hung on a cross, and died suffering and have the whole sins of the world put on him so that we would be made righteous with God through faith in Jesus, saying he's taken on the penalty for sin, we're made righteous with God. Do you realize what an incredible, unbelievable expression of love that is? When we realize that, we come, we take communion, we realize what it costs Jesus, that sacrifice. That's what fills us up. It's something that no one else with their cup can ever provide. It's a cup out of heaven from God. That is the filling that we need to be able to agape love one another. So it's only by God's help that this works. So we're going to pray. And then if you'd like to, communion's open to everybody here at Grace. We'd love to invite you to come as you feel led and take communion and ask God to help you. Because let me tell you, if he's given you someone in your mind to love, you're going to need his help. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the times that you challenge us. This command to love one another, even when we don't feel like it, when we feel like they don't deserve it, with all the pain that they've caused us, boy, this is so hard. We can't do this in our own strength. Help us. We want to serve you. We want to love in this way that you, the way you love us. But we need your help to fill our cup. And we need your humility to remind us we're all right there in the same plane. Lord, thank you for challenging us. For those who still don't have someone in their mind, I pray right now, right now, you'd bring someone into their mind they could love today with an agape love. Lord, we thank you for your incredible love and your unreal challenge to extend that same love to others. Help us, Lord, you know we need it. In Christ's name, amen. As you feel let, please come forward and take communion. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.